We're going to be reading out of the New King James, and so John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. It says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, when it says, so when he had gone out, it's talking about Judas. Judas had just um, dipped his hand, and um, it had come out, Jesus had spoken that he was the one who was going to betray him, and so Judas went out. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you for a little longer. Um, You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Can you look at your neighbor and say, love one another? All right, now say it like you mean it. Love one another. (laughs) A new command I give you. Uh, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you, love, uh, if you have love for one another. I'm just going to read that again. So when he had gone out, again, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children... I shall be with you a little longer, and you will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that also, that you also love one another. By this you will all know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I've been talking through this series called Neighborly, and so uh, I'm going to use this passage of scripture to talk about being neighborly today. Do you guys like your neighbors? No, not really. Yes, you love your neighbors. Okay, perfect. We're going to be getting new neighbors. I'm really upset. Our neighbors have, uh, the neighbors that we've had right to the west of us, we've had forever, and uh, they're getting a new home. And so I get a chance to be neighborly to a new neighbor soon. I'm praying that my mother-in-law, Judy, moves in, and then it'll be easy because she's very lovable. Let's give Judy a hand this morning. Yeah, so that's what we're praying. We're praying for Judy to buy the house next to us. So, um, okay. That was not in my notes. So, Lord, (laughs) we just pray that you will minister to us this morning through the the power of your word, through the proclamation of your word, Father. I pray that um, these words that you gave your disciples um, so many years ago will just continue to speak to us and minister to us and and just uh, change us and transform us, Father, in your holy name. Amen. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context to this passage first, and then I'm going to do a little bit of preaching, okay? So, um, so again, we go back about 2,000 years ago, and um, this was uh, towards the end of Passion Week in Jerusalem. And people were coming together to celebrate the Passover. And in Jerusalem, when Passover happened, man, the city would swell with, with people, because they were all coming to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. They'd come in and offer um, the lambs as sacrifices. And um, so Jesus, this was, this was Thursday night, and Jesus um, had just washed his disciples' feet. Um, he had eaten the last supper with them. Um, and I, I find it kind of interesting that um, the last supper uh, happened uh, over Passover. In fact, uh, if you go back to the book of Exodus... It tells the origins of, of, of Passover. 
Um, the people of Israel had been in captivity for 400 years. They had, um, you know, the, the Egyptian taskmasters, and they were making, um, they, were, they were in slavery, and they were making, um, they, they were working hard, and they were making, uh, uh, they, they, they were making, um, what am I looking for here? They, they, were, they, were, they were working diligently. They were working hard, and their Egyptian taskmasters were, were over them. And God called a man named Moses to be their redeemer. And he called Moses out of obscurity, and he called him out of the wilderness. And um, so Moses, it's interesting, Moses actually went to Pharaoh, and he said, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. But Moses didn't listen, so God sent ten plagues upon Egypt. Ten plagues. And the tenth plague... The Hebrews were instructed to take a blameless, spotless lamb. You can look at this in Exodus chapter 12. They were instructed to take a blameless, spotless lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their homes. And the blood of the doorpost signified that that home belonged to the Lord. Amen? And that blood of the door, that on the doorpost signified, um, it really, it signified salvation. It signified redemption. It signified hope. It signified that, that God was, it signified God's protection. And they were to use that, that, that spotless, blameless lamb, that blood over the doorpost. And um, so that's kind of interesting when you think about that, the blood of the lamb. And you think about how that was really a foreshadowing of the blood of the lamb that was going to be shed um, a while later when Jesus was coming and he was offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. The blood which was shed for us. It's also interesting when you look at the Last Supper, they had the wine and they had the bread. And you think about the bread. And it's weird because the, the bread was... Um, it was so. So, the, so they they had unleavened bread, and you kind of wonder why did they do unleavened bread? Well, the, when they left Egypt, they left so quickly that they didn't let the bread rise, and so they were kind of in a hurry. They were taking the bread with them, and um, but really the bread signified God's provision. In fact, you go a little bit further, and after they got across the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness, it says that the Lord fed them with bread in the wilderness. And so there's a lot of foreshadowings of what had happened in the Old Testament with the people of Israel and what was happening in the New Testament when, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so we, um, we, we, we remember uh, here at Taylor Christian, we remember Christ's sacrifice and we remember his blood that was shed and remember that his body that was broken. His blood was shed because, like, his, his blood even still today, just like the lamb back in the Old Testament, it offers us hope. It offers us redemption. It offers us, um, it offers us um, forgiveness of our sins. This is what it says in, in the book of he- Hebrews. It says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering, and, he, and, and, and what, the, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. And he said, every, and he's talking about the old covenant first. He says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices We can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sacrificed, those who are being sanctified think about that's a promise for us even today right jesus blood and jesus body is a is a promise for us today and so i'm gonna i'm actually gonna call the ushers forward again 
I'm using them a bunch today. And we're going to take a moment today, and we are going to um, remember Christ's sacrifice. We're going to remember his blood that was shed, and we're going to remember his body that was broken. And so I'm just going to pray, and then they're going to distribute the elements. God, we again just thank you for this time to be here, Father. God, I thank you for your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled out, Father. We thank you that we can read this passage of Scripture um, in the book of John and that it points um, back to the Old Testament. It, It points to our past, but God, it also points to our future. It points to what you did for us in the past, but God, it also points for what you're doing for us right now, Father. We can come to you, we can come to the throne of grace, and we can find mercy, God. Your, your, your blood that was shed provides, provides, uh, provides forgiveness of sins, and it was something that we can hold on to even today. And your body, which was broken, which happened in the past, is something that even can provide healing and hope and restoration and life for us today. So God, today, as we remember your body that was broken, may you be glorified and may you be lifted high in your holy name. having some technical difficulties with my, with my element. We're just going to go ahead and partake of the bread. God, we um, thank you for your body that was broken. God, we thank you that um, we can find life in your body. God, I thank you that you are our provider. God, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. God, I thank you that you... Uh, provided sustenance for the people of Israel back in the Old Testament when you delivered them from their taskmasters, Father. And I thank you that um, in the New Testament, um, you spoke to your disciples and you said, I am the bread of life. And God, we thank you that um, we can still today find healing in your body and we just pray over the bread. We give you all the glory and the praise. Amen. You can go ahead and take the bread. God, we also thank you for your blood which was spilled. God, we thank you that, um, you know, in Scripture it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And I just pray right now um, for just uh, us to remember the goodness of, of what you did for us, Father. I thank you that, you're, uh, that in your blood there's forgiveness, and I thank you that in your blood there's power. And we just take the... Uh, the grape juice today in remembrance of what you did for us on the cross. Amen. Amen. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to speak through me through the rest of this message. Father, I pray that you uh, just do your work in me and in the people listening's hearts. Father, we ask these things in your holy name.
Amen. Amen. So, so here we are. It's Thursday night. And Judas had betrayed Jesus. Judas is gone. And um, you look at this new command that's mentioned, and there is, there's, it's kind of interesting because it's, 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 a, it's a command about love, but on either side of the command about love, there's betrayal on one end with uh, Judas, and there's denial on the back end with Peter, and then there's also persecution that's facing Jesus, there's flogging that's facing Jesus, there's uh, whipping that's facing Jesus, there's a, a, a crucifixion that's facing Jesus, and, 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 and you, you think, you know, here, here's Jesus, and, and here's an opportunity for him to, to, to speak to his disciples, and you, you think, you know, I don't know, if I was Jesus, maybe at this moment I would have said, listen guys, make sure that you have lots of money, make sure that you have Lots of weapons. Make sure that you um, brush up on all your theological training and all of your eschatological training because my death is, is, is going to happen, and that's just the beginning. The church is going to be facing some very perilous times. There's going to be false teachers. The church is going to be going into hiding. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like my advice to the disciples might have been a little bit different though, than when Jesus said. I would have been like, yeah, get, get lots of money, get lots of weapons, make sure that you're... Like, I don't know. I would have said something completely different than what Jesus said. But if you look at the text again, it's interesting because he says, going back to verse 31, he says, when he had gone out, and I almost felt like this would have been a great opportunity for him to point at Judas and been like, man, that guy's just a complete tool. Anyone, like, this is, the, he's gone, like, he's going to be betraying Jesus, like, this would have been a great opportunity for him to just be like, hey, yeah, this is, okay, Judas, he's a jerk. But, he, but this is what he says, it's so, it's so interesting, he says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. You know, when I was reading that, um, let me just make this a little bit simpler for you this morning. What he was saying is, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified. Like, 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 there's, there's pain, and there's anguish, and there's hurt, and there's betrayal, and there's denial. There's going to be whipping. There's going to be beating. There's going to be a flogging. I'm going to have to carry my own cross. But guess what? I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified in all of this. And I, I, guess, I guess when I read that, maybe part of me thinks about, like, sometimes us in our own lives, when, we, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through betrayal, when we're going through denial, when we're going through hurts and sorrows and pains and anguish, and I just can't believe. I want to take a moment this morning and remind you that the Lord's going to be glorified. The Lord is going to be glorified. Like, like you, you, you realize that this was a, a time in his life. Like, again, it's sandwiched. On one side, Judas just left. His, 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 one of his beloved 12 disciples just left, just betrayed him. And in front of him, he's facing the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's facing uh, Peter you know, getting ready to struck, strike, strike, strike some guy's ear off. He's, all the persecution that's facing him. And he says, I am going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified. It, 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 it's it, it's kind of wild because when you think about it, this moment in time had been predicted all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of mankind. And now through God's sovereignty, he's making it all come together 
at the perfect place at the perfect time. And it's, it's even, I would say, maybe even a little audacious, isn't it? That God would come in the form of a servant to be the lowliest of lows so that he could be exalted to the highest of highs. The idea that God would come in human form, he would die an unjust death, uh, the use of, uh, and he would, he, he would be uh, sacrificed uh, for the penalty of sin. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of audacious to think about that, that this act of outrageous mercy glorifies God and it proves his love and it proves his mercy for us. I'm going to be glorified. And, and then I, 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 this is going to be an extravagant form of example of love that I have for you. John says it like this in 1 John. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished. Can you look at your neighbor and say lavished? Yeah, lavished. How great is the love the Father has lavished. That means like, you know, like when you go to, I don't know, I'm thinking about my, my daughter when she, when she goes and she, gets, she puts ranch on her, on her salad and she just like, you know, it's just like lavish. Like there's no, there's no, uh, there's, she's not holding back at all. She's just like, you know, like the whole thing is going on. Like how great is the love? How great is the ranch that Genevieve puts on the salad? Like, like would you like some salad with that ranch? Like, like how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called as children. And I guess I want to remind you again today that God's love is still available for you. His love that he's lavished, it's not just for, you know, Billy Job, Billy Bob, you know, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's not just for the, you know, the special people. It's not just for the people that, that, that uh, live in Taylor. It's not just for the people that, you know, belong to the... How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us. But, but listen, like, like, I feel like some of us know that. Maybe some of us don't. Some of us know that. We're like, oh, that's so elementary that God loves me. Of course he loves me. Of course he loves me. But here's the deal. Once we experience God's love, what is our response? Look to your neighbor and say, neighborly. Now say it in your best um, Australian accent, neighborly. <laughs> neighborly. Yes, exactly. But listen, once you've experienced God's love, what is your response? Look at it in verse 34 again. He says, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Hmm. So if we know that we're, if we know, if we've experienced the love of God, a new command. Like, like first of all, I'm kind of upset with John because he used the word command. Since, 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 since when did love become a rule? Since when did it become a command? Isn't love just a feeling? Isn't love just uh, a wild and untamable emotion isn't love like a wind that blows hither and thither. Isn't it just a spontaneous flow from the human emotions? But he says a new command, a new command I give you. Um, for, furthermore, it, it, it's interesting when you look at the text, 
Um, he says, a new command I give you that you love one another. Can you look at your neighbor and say, one another? One another. Now, now, now there are, are certain theologians, there are certain scholars that will argue over the one another. They'll say, well, one another could mean one of two different things. There are certain theologians that say, you know, the one another in this passage was the people that were just in the room, right? He was just talking to his disciples, so they say the one another means that the people in the room. So, so Jesus was talking to the other, he was talking to the 11 disciples, and Judas was gone, so he was talking to the 11 disciples. So he was talking to the people in the room. And I will say that there might be some, there might be some, there might be some credit to that. Um, you know, you think about uh, what was going to be happening to the church in front of them. Uh, there was going to be a lot of things that were going to be happening. Uh, the church was going to be facing conflict. The church was going to be facing persecution. The church was going to be facing all sorts of different things. And so he was looking at his disciples, and some theologians will say that he was telling them, listen, when trials and adversity come your way, the way that you treat one another will be an example to the world. Right? I mean, I was thinking about this as I was preparing my message. In my life, I have been involved in four churches. The church I grew up in, the church that I first ministered at, the church in St. Louis, actually five churches, another church, and Taylor Christian. And um, I will tell you that without exception, every church I have been at, there has been conflict. Every church. The first, the church that I grew up in actually had a church split. The church split, and they, were, they had some crazy preaching, and it split. And um, I remember there was a lot of casualties, a lot of people that just turned away from God. There were people that turned away from the church. There were people that just left their faith altogether. Uh, the second church that I was at, um, we came into, and um, the, um, the, the pastor, the, the youth pastor that I was following, actually, that was the third church. The third church that I was at, the youth pastor I was following had a moral failing, so I came into that. There was a lot of casualties. There was a lot of hurt, a lot of sorrow. Every church that I've been at, there's been difficulties. And the truth is, the, the way that we treat each other in the church is a witness to those outside of the church. Like, in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of trials, in the middle of tribulations, in the middle of disagreements, the way we treat each other is a witness to those outside of the church. I mean, have you ever been somewhere and you're like, man, if I wanted to be treated that way, I would have just went to the, you know, whatever. Like, sometimes you go to church, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe, like, I guess you kind of expect more from people at the church sometimes. I don't know if you should, but sometimes you do. And so some theologians will say, listen, I think that this one another here specifically speaks to Christians and the way that they interact with one another. Like maybe we, maybe we can take this a step further. And maybe even it's the way that you treat your family. The way that you treat your family is an example, like it's, it's an example of the way that people look at us. It's a witness to those outside of, to those outside of the faith, Okay. So some will say one another is those outside. Others will argue, other theologians have argued, that the one another um, is much more than that. So much more than that. So much more than just loving other Christians. 
It's so much more than uh, loving Paul or loving Dean or loving Lisa. It's so much more than loving uh, Nolan. It's so, much, it's, it's so much more than that. You know, so, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just loving someone that's like you. In fact, um, in the Beatitudes, when Jesus was speaking to the crowds, he said, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Even the sinners do that. When you look at Jesus' life, Jesus' life was marked by not just loving um, other uh, followers, not just loving other people that thought he was cool. It wasn't just loving his disciples. When you look at Jesus' life, his public ministry was a ministry that was marked with people that were from all over the spectrum of living. I mean, you think about Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. You think about he, he, he was around tax collectors and sinners and Samaritans and lepers and dirty fishermen. This is what I would say. I would say that when God moves in your heart, that it changes you. It changes your heart from the inside out. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it gives this picture. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart. Can you look at your neighbor and say, new heart? And put a new spirit. Can you look at your neighbor and say, new spirit? Within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my commandments and do them. Man, when God, man, when God moves in our heart, when God comes in and changes our heart of stone into a heart of, heart of flesh... Man, it's like, it, it's like it gives us a hope, right? It gives us a hope. And that, and that hope in Romans chapter 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You know, you might be here this morning and say, Man, I just feel like I've gone through so much pain and so much anger. I just don't have anything to pour out. And I want to encourage you this morning that, that, that we are connected to God. We're connected to the Holy Spirit. And his, his love is continually pulling, pouring out into our hearts. And as it continues to pour out, it begins to overflow. And as it begins to overflow, it begins to reach the people around us. I think the one another here is a love for each other, love for other, but also I think it's a love for other people as well. It's a love for other people as well. I think it's easy sometimes for us to say, you know, I, I, um, I, 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 I love this person. I care for this person. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we just started dating last week. And they're, um, I love everything about them. They're, 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 they're so, uh, they're, you know, he's so handsome. Um, he has such a beautiful full head of hair. He, um, he speaks so kindly. He, uh, man, when he, when he walks, he just has that pep in his step. Um, you know, uh, I, I, any, anyone else, like when you're first in a relationship, how it's like so, you know, so Twitter-pated. Everything is just amazing. But one of the reasons why, and the worship team can come back up, but one of the reasons why I think God makes it a command is because I think, when you think about it, anyone that's been in a relationship for longer than maybe a year or six months realizes that 
loving people takes hard work. You begin to see their flaws. You begin to see their imperfections. You begin to see, you know, oh, he's, you know, picking his nose again. I like whatever you see. Like, it, be, it, it begins to take hard work. And I think Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, knowing what was behind, knowing what was ahead, knowing what they were going to go through, knowing the difficulties, knowing the trials, knowing all the quirks of the church, knowing all the quirks, all the personalities of, of the things that were going to happen, knowing that Peter and Paul were going to argue, like, like knowing all these things, said, listen, this is a new command that I give you. I want you to love one another. God, right now, I just pray for your spirit to continue to move. God, right now, I just pray that you will uh, speak to us and minister to us this morning, Father. Maybe there are some people that you've set on our hearts. Maybe there are some people that you have placed on our hearts. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a, 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 a co-worker. Um, maybe there's some one another's you've placed on our heart this morning, Father. And I just pray that you will equip us and prepare our hearts to overflow your love to them. And as we sing the song one last time, may you be glorified and magnified.